what a gift from God music is. What a privilege and what a weighty responsibility to stand before you and read God's Word and preach it. I invite you to open the Scriptures with me again to the book of of Revelation, the final book of uh, the Bible. If you're visiting with us, we've been looking at this portion of God's Word. We've been uh, trekking through the book of Revelation and uh, one of the uh, lines that we sang earlier um, uh, perhaps should be uh, my aim throughout this series. Uh, Brethren and sisters, uh, will you pray with all your power as I try to preach God's Word? It's a a challenging text, a challenging portion of Scripture, but a central text, a central portion and book of God's Word that is meant to instruct us and guide us and encourage us in the faith as followers of Jesus Christ. And so today we do come to Revelation chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible with you, let me encourage you to look on with someone else or to grab a pew Bible, and you can find this text beginning on page 996. But as you find your place there in God's Word, would you join me? Uh, whether in body or in spirit, uh, standing as I read God's word. We stand out of reverence for the one whose word it is that we are reading. Revelation chapter 10, John writes, he says, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven, And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that is in it, and said, there will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. And the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more, go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. Turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we invite you to speak to us now. Lord, speak to us through your word and the proclamation of it. Lord, may the truths of your word be evident as your spirit instructs us. And may we apply them to our lives as your people. And it's in the name of Jesus And for his glory that we pray. Amen. Church, you may be seated. I know you caught that. I know you got all that text. You got it figured out, ready to wrap it up and go. You know, it can be fairly easy to get lost in this book. It can be fairly easy to get lost in these vivid, otherworldly descriptions saturating the book of Revelation. But church, this dramatic description of Christ's glorious reign 
and certain return is meant to encourage the church. It's meant to encourage and instruct believers in the faith. It's meant to prod us to faithfulness to Jesus Christ. It's meant to lead us to worship. The visions recorded in this book with picturesque language here are meant to reinforce the gospel truths that are taught throughout the scriptures. In other words, the truths that we find here are consistent with all of of God's word. The message is meant to point us as God's people to the messenger. God Almighty himself, full of majesty and wisdom, power and perfection, righteousness and redemption, judgment and grace. Everything about the book of Revelation shouts that Christ Jesus is sovereign and that he graciously saves those who serve him. So if you serve him, if you know Jesus, if he is your savior, if you are striving to follow after him, then let this book, let its message encourage you. It should encourage you to keep on serving him. It should encourage us to keep on living for him, to keep on following him, despite how it often appears in or how life often unfolds in this world. Because despite what we may feel and see from time to time, God is sovereign. He does reign. He is supreme. Christ is the Savior. And the significance of the salvation He provides by way of the cross of Calvary will soon come to bear on the world. So Christians, serve Him. Worship Him. Delight in Him. Find joy and satisfaction in Him. Desire Him and follow Him. No matter the cost. Well, here as we dive into this text, in this uh, chapter, we have another mighty angel. In fact, Revelation is filled with uh, references to, a- to angels some 60 plus times. The book mentions an angel. And a few of those times it mentions a mighty angel. Here is one such instance. A-, a mighty angel described in magnificent language, robed in a cloud, rainbow above his head, face shining like the sun and legs like fiery pillars. Quite an image. All of this vision recalls an earlier uh, image, the uh, vision of the exalted Christ uh, with which Revelation chapter 1 reminds us and begins, as well as various other Old Testament depictions of of our God. The cloud suggests his his heavenly stature. Uh, The rainbow suggests uh, God's promises and His faithfulness. The fiery pillars recall God's glory manifested to Israel in a pillar of fire by night as they wandered in the desert toward the promised land. You see, the portrait here suggests that this mighty angel is God's ambassador, His representative, His agent, delivering God's message with God's power. The angel's feet are firmly planted on both the land and the sea, portraying God's power over all creation. And in particular, I think, the context of this book, declaring God's authority over Satan's beast coming out of the sea and beast coming uh, out of the earth that we'll soon be introduced to in chapter 13. His lion-like shout reminds us of the lion of the tribe of Judah. He has come from heaven to deliver God's message to John, a message that's described as being contained in a scroll. A little scroll which lay open in the angel's hand recalls the other scroll that we've been introduced to in chapter uh, 5, a sealed scroll in God's hand, and both symbolize God's plan of judgment and redemption. In other words, both scrolls symbolize God's word. And the portrait of the heavenly angel delivering the scroll, delivering this message from the Lord, announces that God's word is authoritative. God's word is 
authoritative. It's authoritative because of where it comes. It comes from the Lord. It comes from the Sovereign One. Through this mighty angel, God speaks. And He speaks with majestic authority. Messages from the Lord. And since God has all authority in heaven and on earth, His Word is powerful and true. And so church, we we need His Word. We need to hear from Him. When we come together for, for worship, when we come together as a body of believers, we need to hear from the Lord more than we need anything else. We need to hear from the Lord. We need to be led by the Lord. We need to be instructed and corrected by the Lord more than we need uh, um, uh, good coffee, more than we need comfortable pews, more than we need smiling faces, more than we need moving music. And don't mishear me. All of those things are gifts from the Lord, but we need to hear from the Lord. We need to hear from Him. We come together in His name. We want to be led by, by Him. We need God's authoritative Word. We need to read it and proclaim it and receive it and respond to it. We need to recognize that the Bible is His Word. That it is God-breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. We're reminded here, I think, in Revelation chapter 10, that when it comes to theology, when it comes to our knowledge and study of, of God, we don't know everything. We only know what He has made known to us. The Bible doesn't address everything. The seven thunders, verse 4, remind us that there are truths we don't know. Perhaps this refers to another round of, of judgments, like the seals and the trumpets, that God deems unnecessary. Who knows? God knows. A reminder that some things belong to and are known by God alone. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. In other words, God doesn't reveal everything to us, but what He does reveal we best take seriously. A reminder that the Lord knows much more about the future than He tells us, and I think a caution A word of caution for us against too much unhelpful speculation and debate about what we don't know. A good reminder as we read Revelation to focus on what we know, what is plainly revealed in God's Word here and elsewhere. And one truth that is plainly revealed here and throughout God's Word is that He is sovereign. Thus, we must submit to Him. Submit fully to Him. May we be a people who submit fully to God. In the midst of judgment cycles poured out on unbelievers with increasing severity, chapters 10 and 11 is another pause like chapter 7. It's an interlude. It's a delay. A reminder that there is still a message to be heard, to be obeyed, to be announced by God's people. Submission is tough, isn't it? At its core, sin is failure to submit. It's failure to yield to the will and authority of God, failure to take God's Word seriously. The opposite of submission is rebellion. And if we're honest, we don't have to look very far or long to find it in our own lives or elsewhere. I'll give you an example from uh, the real world. So uh, my, my four-year-old, my middle child, is a pretty good kid. Hadn't gotten in too much trouble yet. He comes home on time. He you know, doesn't hang out with the wrong crowd too often. He's been pretty good so far. Um, but uh, he, he still has his flaws. He's not perfect. None of us, none of us are. Uh, one thing that he's been dealing with lately, in fact, we realize he's been dealing with it a lot longer than, um, 
uh, than, than perhaps we even know, we won't get Parents of the Year award for this, is that he's had some fluid retention in his ears for quite some time, uh, causing him to fail hearing tests again and again and again to the point that we're, we're going to have to do something uh, about that. Uh, and he knows this, um, and he won't admit it unless he senses that uh, he can use it to his own advantage. And so earlier, several days ago, um, he was having a day where he wasn't going to admit it because he was going to the ENT, uh, and he didn't know what that was going to be about. He did not know this doctor, and uh, so he wanted to prove that he could hear really well that day. And, and in fact, he was at the top of his game. He could hear just about anything that day. Uh, but fast forward a couple days, just a few days ago, it was bedtime. I was ready to go to bed, and the kids needed to go to bed so uh, I could go to bed. And so I uh, said to my four-year-old son, Paxton, I said, Paxton, it's, it's time uh, to stop playing and go brush your teeth. It's time to get in bed. No response. So I said it again. Paxton, stop playing right now. It's time to go brush your teeth and get in bed. And almost immediately... He responded, Daddy, my ears are clogged. I can't hear you. (laughs) Submission is tough, isn't it? We're not very good at it. Sin is a submission problem. May we be a people, church. May we be followers of Jesus Christ who hear the word of the Lord and submit to him fully. You see, the presence of the mighty angel in this text says, listen up. God Almighty is speaking. His word is authoritative and His word is certain. God's word is certain. It is certain. What He says, what He promises, will come to pass. God promises us this. He says in Isaiah chapter 55, He says, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Verses 5 and 6 and 7 and Revelation chapter 10 provides us a dramatic image of this truth. The mighty angel exercising God's authority over land and sea raises his hand and he swears an oath in the name of the sovereign God saying, there will be no more delay. Or is this going to happen? The delay is over. The mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. With the preliminary warning judgments are finished. Only God's final judgment of the wicked remains. The seventh trumpet, verse 7, will soon be blown and the chance to repent will be passed. Friends, God's word is certain. His promised plans will come to fruition. They will come about and it is happening quickly. Cosmic conflict is brewing between the dragon and the lamb and there's going to be a showdown soon. But don't be fooled. The war is already won. The outcome is rigged. The Lamb is sovereign. To a tempted, tired, and persecuted church, John's apocalyptic vision shouts, trust God. Trust God. Trust God completely. Church, may we be a people who trust Him completely, who trust Him in all things. Hang in there, he says. Don't get down. The King is coming. The righteous will soon reign with Him. The devil will be destroyed and evil will be eliminated. Church, God has this because He has everything under His sovereign hand. He's in charge. He makes the rules. He is king. Friend, did you know that you too can trust God? You can trust Him with your life. You can trust Him with your days. You can trust Him completely. He is trustworthy. You probably aren't facing persecution today for your faith in Jesus Christ. Many believers, as we've 
shared before around the world are. You and I likely are not. But you may be facing disease. You may be dealing with depression. You may be struggling with addiction or you may be the victim of abuse. Your children may be rebelling or your marriage may be dissolving. From the Word of God, from beginning to end, and certainly in Revelation chapter 10, invites you to trust the timing and the ways and the promises of the sovereign God. He is trustworthy. And He reigns even in the midst of hardships. I'm going to pause this morning and do something a bit different for a moment. The book of Revelation has a couple strategic pauses. We're going to pause this morning. We're going to delay for a moment this morning and let this truth sink in. Invite God to sink these truths in our lives that we might recognize that He is King, that He is sovereign, and that He is good, and He's merciful, and He can be trusted in all times. I just want to open it up, not for comment, but if you're dealing with something tough, perhaps you're going through a hard situation, perhaps your family is dealing with trying circumstances, and you like others around you to pray for you. No doubt this room is full of folks in that category. That is you. Would you stand where you are and let us pray for you? Not by name, not pressing any details. We don't need to know any more details. But if you're struggling and you would like the church to pray for you, would you stand where you are? Thank you. Thank you. Say, I'm going through difficulty and like my church family to lift me up before God. Would you stand? Number of you. Let me invite you, church, to look around. And if any of these folks are near you, would you just surround them? Lay a hand on them? And as you do that, church, all of the church family, would you stand where you are as a sign of your support and desire to intercede on behalf of these brothers and sisters in the faith? Let's lift them up. Let's pray that the power of the Almighty God would be felt and known in their lives today. And that He would lead us and remind us that we can trust Him in all circumstances, no matter what. Let's lift them up. As I voice a prayer, would you pray over them where you are? Father, we come to You. We pause now and we come to You because we know that You are sovereign. Because we know that You reign. Because we know that You are King. And we know that You are worthy and that you're present and that you're good and that you're faithful and trustworthy. And so, Lord, we pause now to lift up our brothers and sisters in the faith, praying that you would do a miraculous work in their lives, praying that you would heal, praying that you would restore, praying that you would guide, praying that your presence would be felt and known. Lord, would you remind these who are hurting today of your goodness and your glory, of your sovereign reign and the joy of salvation. Father, would you comfort where these need to be comforted? Would you guide where they need to be led? Would you heal where they are hurting? Father, may your name be praised. and May they soon look back and others soon look back on these circumstances and these times in their lives and see your hand at work and, and pause and praise you for it. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Church, as you find your ways back to your seats, the Scriptures are clear that God's Word is authoritative.
because he is king. He is sovereign. His word is authoritative and his word is certain. He is faithful. So what he says will come about. It's authoritative, it's certain, and we see in Revelation chapter 10, verses 8 and following, that God's word is for consumption and proclamation. It is for consumption and proclamation. We consume and we proclaim the bittersweet word of God because the sovereign God who gives us the word is a God who saves. And His word is sweet because it is the message of salvation. Yet it's bitter because it's often met with opposition and rejection and hostility. Verse 7, the mystery of God announced to His servants the prophets concerns His plan of salvation for sinners. And it is the same mystery now entrusted to John and through John also entrusted to the church, to us. And once again, John writes as he records these visions and puts them down for the church's use. He knows the Scriptures. He's steeped in the Word of God. He knows the Old Testament backwards and forwards. He's referring to a couple of Old Testament prophets in a tradition where they were instructed to eat God's Word. Uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel both consumed the word of the, God, word of God so they could rightly then proclaim the Word of God. Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16. Jeremiah says, When your words, God, came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name. Lord God Almighty. Similarly, in Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 9 and following, Ezekiel says, Then I looked and I saw a hand stretched out to me, and it was a scroll which he unrolled before me. On both sides of it were written words of lament and mourning and woe. It was a message from the Lord, but a tough message to hear for those who don't know the Lord. Chapter 3, And he said to me, Son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll. Then go and speak to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. Then he said to me, Son of man, eat the scroll I am giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it, and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. He then said to me, Son of man, go now to the people of Israel and speak my words to them. Church, like John, we have also been given access to this open book. This scroll, this word from the Lord. Christians like Jeremiah and Ezekiel and John, we are called to take and read and to feast on the Bible. Let's take and read and feast on God's word. To eat this scroll is to consume its message. To read it, to delight in it, to take it in, to to receive God's truth and to respond accordingly. Let me ask you, believer, are you feeding On the Word of God. Is regular Bible reading part of your ongoing life? Truth is, if we have time for Facebook, we have time for Netflix, we've got time to consume God's Word. May we be a people who consume the Word of God, who immerse ourselves in it. We need a regular, steady diet of God's Word. For the ministry and message of His Word that has been given to us, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, to equip us, to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Put another way, we cannot mature in the faith without consuming the Word. We cannot honor Christ without taking in His Word. Let's consume His Word. Let's take and read and feast upon the Bible. And as you do, the Spirit of God will move you, will move us to share 
It's a treasure store. The angel essentially says to John, take and eat and then go and tell. Take and eat and then go and tell. Verse 11, then I was told you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Language reminiscent of the unrepentant people of the earth at the end of chapter 6 who didn't heed the warnings. But language also reminiscent, I believe, of the multi-ethnic multitude of chapter 7 surrounding the Lamb's heavenly throne. You see, John's task is like that of the prophets, and now his task is our task. It is the missionary task. It is to fulfill the instructions and the words of, of Jesus. But you, believers, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you, church, will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The book of Revelation opens with a blessing, a promised blessing for those who read its message and obey its message. And church, we cannot obey its message if we do not witness. So let's be a people who take it in and who witness to the world. Let's be a people who consume God's word, who take it and read it and feast upon it, and a people who then respond by witnessing to the world. And it's to this task of witnessing that John turns to in chapter 11. We witness as we wait. The church is called to witness, to warn unbelievers of God's pending judgment and to share with them the riches of His saving grace. We are, according to the Scriptures, Christ's ambassadors. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. The mouthpiece of God agents of God, the instruments of God, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. To whom are you witnessing? I was convicted in this area just two days ago, Friday afternoon. I had an opportunity to meet up with a friend that I had not seen in years, probably a decade, who is serving our Lord as one of our Southern Baptist missionaries in another part of the world in a dangerous part of the world. This was a close friend of mine. We were in each other's weddings and he happened to be in Birmingham and reached out to me and we got together for a short bit and I was looking forward to catching up. And so we met up at a donut shop and uh, said hello, began to order, and then we were going to catch up. We had limited time, but in the process of ordering, our catch up was delayed because he began to witness. Began to witness to the lady taking our order. He said, "Can can I ask you a personal question? Is there anything at all we can pray for you about? Of course, the providential timing of God was so good as she began to share about her child that was having some issues. Her daughter was having some challenges. and My friend was able to say, hey, you know what? When I was about your daughter's age, I heard this incredible message that God loves me so much that He made a way for me to be forgiven of my sins and right with Him. No one ever told me that message. My family didn't tell me that message. And I want you to hear that message from me today. And the conversation continued to unfold. He just began to pour into this stranger the story of God's incredible love. Of course, for a moment, I was thinking, hey, we came to get donuts and catch up. What are you doing? Witnessing. Friends, may we be a people who witness. May we be a people who take in the goodness, the sweetness of God's Word 
and share it with a lost and dying world. May witnessing become part of our everyday conversation. May it become part of our lifestyle. May the goodness of God overflow in our conversations from day to day. Who are you witnessing to? How well are you representing Jesus Christ? See, the message is clear. And it's good. It is a good message. It is good news. It is a sweet gospel. Yet, its news is often met with bitter resistance. It's often rejected. A message vulnerable to rejection. A rejection that is not always just aimed at the message, but is often aimed at the messenger himself. And even so, a good message of a glorious God, worthy of sharing, even in the face of rejection, which is why Paul could write these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and following. He says, but thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Him everywhere. What a way to describe witnessing. Spreading the aroma of the knowledge of God everywhere. He goes on and he says, For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Verse 16, hear this. He says, To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. It's a, a bittersweet book. We are called upon to consume. To whom might you be an aroma that brings life? May we, may Meadowbrook Baptist Church, be an aroma that brings life to many lost sinners for the glory of the only God as we await the return of our sovereign King. Since the sovereign God calls us to trust Him. He calls us to trust His Word and to proclaim His salvation. The sovereign God, that's the message of Revelation chapter 10. The sovereign God calls the saved to trust His Word, to take Him at His Word, to cling to His Word, to hear His Word, to trust His Word and to proclaim His salvation. But here's the deal, you won't proclaim it. You won't proclaim Him if you don't trust Him. We ask you this morning, do you trust Him? Do you trust God? Do you trust the God who has made Himself known to us through His Word and His Word made flesh? God who holds all things in His hands. Do you trust Him? Trust Him today. Trust the living God today with your life, with your future. Every moment of your day, trust Him. He is trustworthy and He's good. Not only all-powerful, but He's ever-present. And He loves you. Trust Him. Bow before Him and trust Him today. If you've never trusted Him, repent and turn to Jesus in faith and ask Him to save you. Perhaps you're a believer, but you've been living your life as if you don't trust Him. Let me remind you that he He is God and He is good. Trust Him. Walk with Him. Live for Him. Let's trust Him today. And Father, as we respond to Your Word, the truths that are found in it, may we be a people who trust You. Lord, move in our hearts, move in our minds, move in our lives, that we would bow before You, that we would serve You, that we would reorient our lives around You. Father, I pray for those that are gathered among us today that, that aren't trusting You. Father, I pray for those that have never trusted in you for salvation. Father, I pray that your spirit would convict them and that they would turn and find life and forgiveness through Jesus Christ.
And Father, I pray for others of us that aren't living as if we truly trust you. Open our eyes, grab our attention, humble us before you that we might faithfully follow you. Father, we cling to your word, we cling to your promises. We know Christ is coming again. Until that day, lead us, use us, correct us, comfort us. God is to sing the riches of your grace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.